Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama, and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. The Music of America podcast continues. We finished the state of New York with a legend, and the legend is the Glass Prism, whose bio reads longer than I think the show is. It's one of the first rock bands, no, the first rock band in the Northeast to sign a major record label, and they've been entertaining fans for over 50 years. We'll be talking with Tom Verano from the Glass Prism in just a little bit. You know, we've all done this, right? You find that perfect tone you're looking for, and then the club owner walks up and says, hey, you know, you're too loud or something to that effect. And then you have to change that, which you've spent all evening trying to achieve the tone, that perfect tone where you're always in the sweet spot. Well, introducing the Lexi from Landry Amps. The Lexi is a 100-watt amp that has at its core a vintage Plexi circuit, at least part anyway. The Lexi has a rhythm crunch channel and a boosted lead channel. It has digital reverb, a tube buffered effects loop, depth control, and an awesome voice switch. It has considerably more gain than the Plexi does at volumes that range from a whisper all the way to concert level volumes, and it's designed to be played at those lower levels without losing tone. The two channels each have their own gain and master volume control, but they share the EQ. Check it out. Landry Amps, he's got a YouTube channel where you can see the whole array of amps that Bill Landry has out. Get a sense of the tone and the amp that you might want yourself. It's Landry Amps on YouTube or at their website, www.landryamps.com. This is an interview I think we've been trying to put together for almost six months, Tom. <laughs> you know, when I first reached out to the Glass Prism, you were really uh, excited about being a part of this, and I'm so grateful for your patience. And the more I read your bio, the more I realized how big you guys were, you know? Uh, I grew up in a when you guys were hitting it, on, I was either at the beginning of my tasting of rock and roll or I'd already diverted into glamour rock. So I, I lost a lot of really good artists and you were one of them that fell by the wayside. Although we were just talking about a lot of musicians that we both knew that I listened to when you were playing. So that's kind of cool. Tell me about the glass prism, the, the, the footnotes of your bio, if you would. You were, like I said, you were the First, right? The first rock band in the Northeast to sign to a major label? The Northeast to sign a, a, a major record deal. Yeah. People were doing demos and that kind of thing. Acetates, as we call them. Uh, uh-huh. But to get a real record label like RCA, back then it was RCA, Capital Columbia. There were just a few labels. That would be the top labels. And that's where all the major groups were signing. But anyway, Tom, I want to, really want to appreciate you asking us to come on. And I'm glad I have the opportunity to tell the world uh, a little bit about uh, this uh, almost famous group called the Glass Prism. <laughs> I mean, you think of almost famous that movie, and it's yeah. like, how many bands are almost famous? And they get a shot, they get a demo, they get a record deal, but they don't get a hit. Or they get one hit, the one hit wonders, mm-hmm. and they disappear. And our situation uh, was, I'll give you a little bit of background. The band started in 1960. So we've been around a little bit. We've been around since since the Little Richards and the Chuck Berries and the Elvis. And and those are the first songs that we figured out how to play and played them live until uh, we figured out that, oh, we could be like the Beatles. We could write our own songs. And so we started writing songs and 
you know, going around to all the record labels trying to get a deal. Um, by 1969, uh, after a bunch of different shots at things, we finally got Mort Lewis uh, heard about us. And Mort Lewis was a pretty big manager. I mean, if you think about it at the time, everything was the English invasion, the British stuff mm. was happening. So the biggest manager in America might have been Mort Lewis. He had Simon and Garfunkel. He had Blood, Sweat, and Tears. He had Dave Brubeck. Wow. In the Jackson. So he was major. And he came to see us. He liked what he saw. A couple of days later, he took us to Columbia, and we did a couple of songs, demos, and we had a contract the next week with RCA. And Big Money came up front, a two-album deal. And uh, Mort decided to create his own management company with some other people, uh, and he called it Marble Arch. All of this was in all the big magazines. You know, back then we had the Billboard, um, cash box. We had cash box. We had record world. Uh -huh. And if you were in any of those magazines, all of those magazines ended up in the radio stations and the radio or music stores, but the radio stations would see which songs those, those magazines were thinking were going to be hits. Right. So all of that was coming together. Uh, we were in those magazines. He was in the magazines with us. So we get the deal at RCA. They send us to Les Paul studio. Les Paul, the inventor of the electric guitar, at least one of them, and we're in his studio, which is connected to where he lives, his house, and it's uh, we get to see the guy who came up with double tracking, the guy who did four tracks, and the guy who did all kinds of echo and reverb, and all these little tricks that started back in those early days of Les Paul and Mary Ford. Yeah. And we lived at his house it was connected to the studio oh, for three wow. days while we recorded this album that's so cool and the guitar that i play i had purchased in april we're in his studio in june and i have my 1969 les paul which is the electric guitar that i still use on stage no the kidding book. wow that fretless wonder they called it yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's my guitar and i walked into the studio with my Les Paul, and he's got a little room there where he has all of his first guitars that he built. You know, the very first electric guitars that he built, yeah. and put you know put the little boxes together to make them look like guitars, but they were going to have pickups on them. And uh, he had them all hanging up, and we talked a little bit about that. And so that was the big that's the beginning stages. Now here's what happened: the album came out. And the connection with RCA and Mort was, Mort's going to put us on tour with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. They had just released Spinning Wheel, uh -huh. which was going to be a number one song. It was their second number one song. So we're going on tour with, with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And the reason that RCA was backing us so heavily was because we're going to be playing stadium dates. And we're going to be in front of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. and they want to be able to sell records. That's what they do. So right. the album is on the charts. All of the magazines, the Billboard, the Cashbox, the Record World, pick The Raven, which was our single, to be a number one song. They picked the album to be a top 10 album. And it started to go up the charts. And of course, RCA is doing all the 
the push and the advertisement and everything they can right. do to get it out there. But within a few days of everything starting, Mort Lewis disappears. Now, he we were in New York. Just disappears. He disappears. Wow. Uh -huh. We were in New York in his office many times. Every time we were there, Paul Simon was there. Now, he would leave the room when we had meetings. Uh -huh. He would go into another room or, so, or leave, but he would always be hanging around. Art showed up maybe once or twice, but it was mostly Paul, who was just hanging around Mort's office all the time. And I guess Art and Paul, that was when they were going to split up. So there, that was happening. But for some reason, Mort Lewis, we were told, went to Florida. He had a yacht down there, yeah. um, to Florida. And it was like, well, why did he leave now? So the president of RCA said to me, well, we just found out that Blood, Sweat, and Tears tour is canceled. Mort canceled the whole tour. Oh, my God. Why? So we're not going to be on the tour. There won't be a tour. And something is happening with Blood, Sweat, and Tears and David Clayton Thomas. Probably, anyway, something did happen. They ended up splitting up. But so the president of, of RCA said, um, we'll wait till Mort shows up to get things rolling again and we'll hang around. And weeks went by and no one could find him. No one could reach him by phone or anything. They just didn't know where he was. At the 11th month of our contract, we got a phone call from RCA that said, by the way, you have 11 days to get to Studio A at RCA to record your second album. That whole year went by with no one finding Mort Lewis, but we had a contract for two albums and they wanted us to produce the second album. We didn't have any idea that that was going to happen. We were just a band who was playing. We're getting a lot of airplay, at least in some areas. And we were, we were able to work a lot. So we were playing all the time, you know, living life's, uh, the way you live, right? You know, family, you have kids, you know, whatever the thing is. Not the life of a rock star. You were living a regular life. That's it. Yeah. That's, and we had no idea that anything was going. We just thought, well, yeah, Mort Lewis is gone. We don't know where he is. Well, we did end up recording the album um, called "On Joy and Sorrow," and that was they were going to release a single off of that, but they were still able not able to find Mort and they weren't going to be our manager. And our contract was him didn't allow us to get another manager. He was the exclusive manager. We didn't know whether he was dead or alive. And, you know, back at that point, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have right. the way we have contacts. Now we can find people. We can do what we're doing now. But mm -hmm. back then that wasn't possible. Yeah. I could write a letter, you know? <laughs> yes. You could do things, but no one could find him. Right. And the truth of the matter is, no one found him until 2015. Wow. No one knows what he did. No one knows where he went. No one knows how he made a living. He was out of the entertainment world. He wasn't managing. He wasn't doing anything. He so left bizarre. us on the shelf. That's true. And the reason that we knew he came back was because he did an interview with a Boston newspaper yeah. because Art Garfunkel was going to hook up with him in a new management deal. 
Now, that was just a friendship thing. Art Garfunkel was going to come back. Right. Just going to do a few shows. And so Mort did an interview with the Boston newspaper. And a writer from another paper in Philly who knew me saw the article. And he called me and he said, hey, Mort Lewis is still alive. He just did an interview in Boston. So he did show up. I did get his mailing address where he lived in Massachusetts. And I sent him a letter, nice letter. I sent him a copy of our new album, Resurrection. I sent him our documentary because there's a documentary called On Joy and Sorrow, The Glass Prison Story. I sent him that and just a nice, how you doing? Here's where we are. You can reach me by phone, by email, by mail, whatever you want to do, uh, just to say hi. Nothing about hard feelings or, you know, it's right. all gone. You know, you're talking 40 years ago now, right? 50. Yeah, yeah. All over with. Whatever happened, happened. But he left the industry and no one knows what happened. And he did not respond to my letter. Wow. Within a year, he passed away. He was 92. Within that same year, he passed away. So we'll never know. Now, when the guys that were shooting the documentary were trying to find him, I hooked them up with Art Garfunkel and Paul and some other people that I know that knew him. And they could not give any information out. I don't know if they would or could, but they did it. And so because they wanted to, the guys doing the documentary wanted to bring him into the documentary. Like yeah. the documentary has the last in recorded interview on camera with Les Paul where he talks about wow. time at his studio uh -huh. uh, we did there. I mean, this is, this was a, a magical time, the three days at Les Paul studio. I mean, you know a little bit about being a musician because you are one. When we were recording that album, we did the tracks, the tracks meaning guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, we Hammond B3 organ. We did piano on the song, the Raven, which was going to be the single. We did it at night. <clears throat> The next morning, about five o'clock in the morning, Les Paul uh, went into Augie's room. Augie's the lead singer on that song. And he woke him up. He said, Augie, here's a cup of coffee. Let's go in the studio and, and do a take. So he did it in one take. Not two takes. One take. He sang all four verses. Sounds great. He did it at six or seven in the morning after having a cup of coffee and being inspired by Les Paul to go out and do it. That's something that in the time, you know, we're not doing any, there's no punching in, there's no right. pitch control, there's none of that stuff. Everything is, you're live, you either do it or you don't, and it came out great. That's but that was, that's how we got underway with, with Mort Lewis, and then he dropped off the face of the earth, and it gave us opportunity. So, so you weren't was, just on a trajectory, you were on a skyrocket trajectory, because Blood, Sweat, and Tears then was huge. Yeah. And you were going to be opening for them, so you're going to be playing all over, and then yeah. all of a sudden, it it just dies. Man, that's that sucks so much. But that's so much. That's, that's the story of the music industry, and that's you the know, twenty five minutes or less. You know, wow. Yeah. Now you mentioned mentioned Augie. The band members I have are Lou Casa, Rick Richards, you, Mike Mercury. Are there right. other members that's, that have come and gone? Um, yeah, really, not too very many. In nineteen sixty six. Our original bass player, Jim Schrader, was going off to college. It was August. And August 15th, our drummer, on the way to a show that we were doing, had an accident, and he died. Oh, my gosh. 
He was 21 years old. His name is Steve Bond. So the original bass player, Jim Schrader, and the original drummer, Steve Bond, at the same exact time, Steve passed away and Jim went off to college. I replaced Jim with Augie Cristiano and with Rick Richards, who is the second and one and only drummer now. and okay. has since 66. So that's the personnel changes. Now, Augie uh, was with us when we recorded this album, Resurrection, but he's not able to perform. So Mike McCurry has taken over. The, the songs we're going to listen to are Resurrection. It's a quick instrumental. And we're going to hear The Raven and the flip side of that, which right. was El Dorado, which is one of my favorite songs. Right. But uh, these are these members are all on that one. Is that correct? Yeah, yes, they are. Okay. Okay. Well, why don't we start with uh, Resurrection? Tell us the story, but it's a quick song. It's an instrumental. But tell us about that. A little story about Resurrection. The thing is, when we were putting this album together, we were approached by... Uh, Deborah Records, owned by Dick Plotkin, and he came to us and he said, what I'd like to do is another Poe theme, because we had recorded other stuff, our own original stuff, mm -hmm. and our own lyrics and so forth, but he says, I'd like to redo the whole album, and what we decided to do was take some of the songs from the first album, Poe Through the Glass Prism, and rearrange them, because that's how we were doing them on live shows, with more modern uh, more advanced musically uh, arrangements. So we did five of those songs from that album on this Resurrection album, and we did um, nine other songs that we had written for this album. So it's the Poe, Edgar Allan Poe theme, uh -huh. including a song about Edgar Allan Poe, taking his stuff and switching it around a little bit, adding some, some words to it, so kind of taking our own little twist to it all. But since we were going to call the album Resurrection, I figured I'll write an instrumental piece as mm -hmm. the opener to the album, kind of like the resurrection of Edgar Allan Poe as a lyricist for a rock band and the resurrection of the glass prison because we had stopped playing in the late 70s and we were getting back together in the early 2000s, 2000. And seven is when we finally did our first reunion show after not playing together for a long time. So, and then we ended up getting a contract uh, and that album came out in 2010 uh, called Resurrection. And an album that was never released uh, called Shenandoah Session 73. That, we changed the name after the Poe thing kind of died off to Shenandoah. We were basically a trio and did that for six years and recorded an album, uh, but never released it. We had a, uh, it was kind of like during the disco era and we were still a rock group. So unless, unless you're Van Halen, you can't get away with that. So we had that album uh, and Dick Plotkin, the owner of Deborah Records, he put that album out as part of the Resurrection album. So it's a double album package or you can get each album separately. And that's how that thing was sold and uh, did quite well. But uh, Resurrection is the opening song for the album. And, the, uh, and you'll notice it's basically an instrumental. Opens with the acoustic guitars. And then there's an electric guitar solo. And then there's a voice. And that voice uh, is a girl that was, because we did some shows with backup singers. And her name was uh, Lisa Marie Gurley. 
And Lisa uh, did that vocal part for me. And you'll hear it in the song. Oh, uh, of all the recordings that we've ever done, and we've done many, um, we've only used other people um, twice. And uh -huh. she was one of the two times. But I needed a certain kind of voice for the part of the song that you'll hear uh, for the last verse, and that's Lisa. Well, let's give it a listen. The, the band is The Glass Prism. Our guest today, Tom Brano, here on the Music of America podcast. We're going to take a quick minute and a half to two minutes or so and hear the first cut, and that's the song Resurrection here on the Music of America podcast. Resurrection with the Glass Prism and our guest Tom Verano from the Glass Prism here on the Music of America podcast. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. B. Normous Productions have been producing and recording music and videos for over 20 years. After 20 years as a performer, the owner, Van Vierhoeven, decided to get back to that which he loves the most, production. After tutelage under Jordan Valeria, he opened his own place in Millicent, Colorado. High-end instruments, high-end equipment all on hand to make your sound compete with that of your favorite records. He has one goal in mind, and that's for you to look and sound as professional as possible. So go make some videos. Go make some records at B. Normus Productions. They're on Facebook or at www.bnormusproductions.com. Tom Brano with the Glass Prism, our guest here, one of the oldest rock and roll bands in the Northeast. Our oldest <laughs> signed label however you would say that one of the biggest rock bands of the northeast and one of the best almost famous bands there was right there you go <laughs> one of the songs we're going to talk about you and i talked a little bit about this and and what happens here tom is people will send me songs to listen to and i'll say oh valerie i know that that's by the monkeys but then i'll hear it's actually a nord nord jones version or it's their own version of a song called valerie so when the raven came across to me i thought well night wait a minute now because the Raven, I remember uh, Alan Parsons' project did a whole Edgar Allan Poe-themed album. 
had that had uh, uh, the system of Dr. Tar and Professor Feather was on there. Uh, I don't know if Anna, Annabelle, Annalie, Annabelle, 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 Annabelle was on there too, I think. And then you, you send me your song, the Raven, and I look it up and you guys had your version out almost 10 years before the Alan Parsons project. So was there a conflict there or anything or, or I mean, it's almost like we did it first guys, you know? Well, there's, there's never, we never had any jealousy or anything like that. Yeah. 1969, uh, we did Hold Through the Glass Prism, which included uh, songs using the, the poetry of Edgar Allan Poe put to rock music and the Raven. Actually, that was the first song that we tried to put together. Uh, if you listen to the single, by the way, it's got four verses. When we played that song live, we did eight verses. Wow. Well, it went on for eight minutes because it's over four minutes, four minutes and some odd seconds. But um, yeah, as far as uh, the Alan Parson project, Tales of Mystery and Imagination. So about seven years after after we did it and um, you know, their, their situation, Alan is great. Yeah. There's is good, but you know, to be first doing it. Well, we're okay with that. Yeah. We're okay. But we yeah. did, uh, I mean, it, the whole idea uh, for us was to create the music that fit those words, uh -huh. story and the feeling and the emotion. Uh, we, we worked at it and we, you know, we had, uh, a bunch of those songs when they came to us and said, let's put an album together. It was groundbreaking though, Tom, because people weren't doing rock operas except for Tommy or hair. Maybe people weren't doing concept albums, but you right. guys already did. This whole thing was a concept, like a tribute to Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. The, was... the whole idea of, uh, of the concept, uh, we didn't even think of it as that, mm -hmm. but that's when you get down to it, yeah, you think of Tommy by The Who, and uh, there weren't too many others that right. were in that same vein. Maybe a little bit of Sgt. Pepper's, sort of, but not exactly. It's not, just yeah. the songs. It has a theme to it, but um, that's that's kind of neat. You know, we, we like that idea. And even our second album, On Joy and Sorrow, was um, developed because of Cahill Gibran and his, uh -huh. his famous Joy and Sorrow. So that's where that idea came from. So we were going to maybe continue if we could have continue with themes and of course then doing resurrection coming back to the Edgar Allan Poe thing um, was something that happened because a record label wanted to sign us and wanted us to go back to that and so we did uh, but we've been fortunate that uh, that a, a label from Asia Banderia uh, has released both of our albums on CDs and it's, they did a great job because they turned vinyl albums into the CD format with the same exact covers and back covers, the Amazing. same sleeves inside are the same exact sleeves. Remember the sleeves where right. it say the next album coming out by the Jefferson airplane or the guess who or whoever, mm -hmm. same sleeves were used that RCA used. So it's oh, exactly the same, but on a smaller version, the only difference is, um, he had someone write some liner notes, and the writer was uh, a rock journalist, uh, Richie Uttenberger. So he did the liner notes. So those albums came out a few years ago on Banderia. And now we just got a new record deal, and you'll see it coming out in a few months. 
from Gerson, which is out of Spain, they're releasing both of our albums on vinyl. How cool. And they have a record distributor in the States as well as around the world. Uh, but these are people that came to us because yeah. they what it was and they wanted it to come back out. So uh, the, the, the uh, vinyl albums are, they're almost finished. They have the exact recordings from RCA, which actually are now owned by Sony and they'll be mm -hmm. coming out. And Sony has put our albums on every digital platform online. So people oh. can go online and get them uh, for both of our albums are online, both of the RCA albums. Lovely. Well, so, uh, back, back to the Raven then. The Raven was half written already because you had the lyrics, but you had to put the music to it. Was that, <laughs> was that you or did you, do you guys, when you put this together, did you corroborate on it or did you write yeah. most of the music uh, or what? Augie Cristiano, the guy singing lead on it, uh, called me up uh, and said, hey, I got this idea and um, it's to put music to the, to the poem, The Raven. And he sang a little bit over the telephone, and he, he had a keyboard. He really doesn't play keyboard, but he had one of these keyboards where, you know, you press one note and it's a chord. Yeah. So he, he did that a little bit, and I said, well, come on down. Uh, we live about an hour and a half apart, and he came over. And I got my guitar out, and we just put it together. Wow. And then uh, we created a, a Hammond B3, with the Hammond B3 uh, does the opening. Mm -hmm. And I'm playing piano on it, so it's it's Hammond B3 piano, bass, drums, uh, some guitar way in the background, but it's really um, that sort of macabre kind of sound. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what the Raven. That's how the Raven was developed. And after we finished working on that a little bit, I just thought I have a book from high school. It's all of Edgar's writings. Uh huh. And I have it. I still have it. And I opened it up. And I looked at El Dorado and I said, well, this is, looks right. So I wrote a song and then I wrote another one and, and I just kept doing that. And uh, he did a couple more himself. And we were up to 11 songs when we got the record deal. And those wow. are the 11 songs on that album. Now we've added more on the yep. new Resurrection album. That's so cool. Well, we're going to listen to The Raven right now and hear your version of it because it's really fun and creative and you had it first. <laughs> Tom Verano, our guest here with Glass Prism on the Music of America podcast and this song, The Raven.
Raven. Tom Verano is our guest from the band The Glass Prism. Out of well, he's out of Bingham, Binghamton, New York, but the band is all over the place. We'll talk about that a little bit after I talk about this to bass players. Bass players, listen up. The bag is a high quality leather gig bag family of products that's handmade in the United States with the finest craftsmanship and beautiful, sophisticated, very cool overall appearance. They're made of some of the finest quality leather and cushion available and literally meant to last you a lifetime, a lifetime. They have over 30 years in the leather industry in the Boston area. They are extremely proud to introduce this line of gig bags targeted at both the skilled professional as well as the fun-seeking novice like me. Their hope is that you will love the bag as much as they do. The bag. You can find them at Sweetwater. You can find them at Musician's Friend. You can find them at Guitar Center, wherever you buy your gear. And if they don't have it, ask for it. The bag. Tony Vaughn Bass Bags. His website's up. It's down. It's up. It's down. So try them anyway. It's www.tonyvaughn.com. Or you can link up to him through his Facebook page as well, which is Tony Vaughn also on Facebook, but you want to look for the bag. It's a whole line of gig bags for the bass players. Flip side of the Raven is a poem that James Kahn reads in a John Wayne movie. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but now I do. <laughs> there's a, there's a movie called uh, Rio Bravo with oh, Ricky yeah. Nelson and Dean Martin. They remade it. John Hughes remade it. And instead of, uh dean martin they had robert mitchum play the drunk sheriff and instead of having ricky nelson as the cowboy they had this mississippi gambler some unknown actor by the name of james Kahn. how about that and and his name was nickname was mississippi but throughout the movie he recited the, the poem el dorado really uh -huh. so i've always had a i've always had a thing with edgar Allan poe because i think i had probably the same book you were talking about i used to read 
Poe all the time was fascinated by by his writing um, as a young lad. And El Dorado was always one of my favorite poems. So when I grew up, and then you and I met just recently, I started listening to your music, and I remember hearing that song on Casey, which was at my at my time at least, like the world underground rock and roll station. They played album cuts. They played deep cuts of albums. They played entire albums. It was unheard of back in the sixties when I was you know listening to it. And I remember hearing you guys, and I remember hearing that song almost in a rotation, which is really cool. And it was the B side of the Raven. Well, RCA. Uh, came to me in the beginning to talk about, you know, the order of the songs on the album and what songs were going to be released as singles. Mm -hmm. And they debated, and it, to me it was like, they know best because I'm a 21-year-old kid. What do I know? Right. And they said, it's between The Raven and El Dorado. <clears throat> El Dorado because it was, you know, more of a dance song yeah. than The Raven. But The Raven was the more famous poem. So they right. said, we're going to the Raven. We'll put El Dorado on the back uh, of the single and we'll see who knows. It might be one of those flip side hit songs. Uh, so some radio stations like the one in St. Louis played El Dorado a lot. And mm -hmm. then you have, that was kind of like during the time when FM radio was starting to become big and right. a lot of late night FM guys, you know, the, Shows would start at midnight till six o'clock in the morning. They'd play full albums, like you said. Right. And so we were getting a lot of airplay uh, all over the world, really. And people were playing uh, that album, different songs that they liked. Some people liked The Conqueror Worm. Some people liked the song called Dream Within a Dream on the first album. Mm -hmm. Which has some, it's a great melody that Augie wrote and great harmonies. Uh, I get to use my wah-wah pedal in it. You know? <laughs> Back in the first days, of, you know, when the first wah-wahs came out, yeah. and, you know, Eric's doing White Room and I'm doing Dream Within a Dream. But you have um, that song as a potential single. But like like you said, you heard it on the station. Other stations played it. But The Raven was the song that was going up the charts. Uh -huh. The Raven was the single. That's the song they were pushing the most. How high did uh, did The Raven hit? Do you remember off him? Uh, I don't know how high it went on the different charts. I actually didn't follow it. Yeah. I'd say it got into the, if I recall, like into the 50s. Really? And then okay. they stopped advertising. Because uh -huh. if you remember the magazine, Cashbox, Billboard, Record World, for like a full-page ad, it was a few thousand dollars, which was a lot of money at the time. They were running full-page ads. That's how you got radio disc jockeys to mm -hmm. be aware of a song. You know, a song can become a hit one way or another. If you think of certain songs, you, you wonder how it happened because they're not that right. good. But your other songs that are really good that you never heard on the radio, maybe it's an album cut. But it, the idea is to get the product known. So mm -hmm. they were pushing. They were getting articles in different magazines uh, about the band and about the songs. So they were doing what they could. And then they stopped. And once they stopped, the radio stations stopped hearing about it yeah. and probably slowed it down. And wherever, however high up it got on the charts, that stopped happening at some point. And after, you know how it was back then, after four or five weeks, song could be number one for a week or two and then be gone. Number right. 10, number 15, number 20, the next songs. I mean, the Beatles did it all the time. They have a song go up the charts, 
the next one will go up the charts right after it. Yeah. So, you know, people still knew the songs, but they don't always stay on the charts because they base the charts on uh, airplay. They base it on sales. The Beatles had so many B-sides because people just ate these Beatles songs alive and they couldn't get enough of the Beatles. So they'd play the B-side and then start requesting those from the radio stations too. Yep. That's going on. The British invasion's going on and you guys are now in your prominence, but you're just getting beat up because every opportunity that's going to come your way didn't, right? <laughs> something something went wrong and, and, you know, and we'll never know. It's a mystery what happened to Mort. I mean, there's yep. a guy who's at the top of his game, yeah. In the industry, he's got two number one acts: Simon and Garfunkel. Plus, right. what years? These are acts with number one songs, and he's been involved with them since their early days. Yeah, I mean, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. He they were a folk duo when when Mort signed them. He came Plus out of the village Pierce, or something like that, right? Yeah, these and these guys. We're, we're on the top. Uh -huh. and, he, and he started this company, this company called Marble Arch. And the whole concept was, I'm going to find the best groups in America and sign them. Best rock groups in America. We were the first one that he signed. And then he disappeared. No yeah. other groups got signed to it. No one ever talked to him again. There's no indication that he did any other managing for all the years that went by until 2015 when he showed up in Boston as a so-called manager of Art Garfunkel. And that, that never actually happened, by the way. But here's oh. what did happen that I didn't mention to you. I'll throw this out, a little bit, a little bit of a little extra thing here. The year after our album came out, Paul Simon married Mort Lewis's ex-wife. Oh. He was still married to her when we signed with him. Wow. But the following year, Paul married Mort's ex-wife, and they had a kid. They had a son. So it was a true marriage. They ultimately got yeah. divorced, and he's married to Edie Brickell now. But that was a thing that did happen. Now, I don't know if that could have played a part, if there could have been something going on. Sure. I mean, so, this is your meal ticket. This that's is just, I, I, I don't want to give you bull crap i want to give you the facts. right right so but we don't know actually, we don't know but we do know that, know that happened yeah right. wow we, we don't know that for sure well we if it know. weren't then we can blame paul simon <laughs> if it weren't for paul simon then this b-side of a number one destined to be number one song might have actually been a reality but we will never know it's, it's a great story that needs to be told, and I appreciate you being here with us to do it. But now we're going to listen to the song we were talking about earlier, and that's the, the B-side to the Raven, my favorite po poet poem, and it's called El Dorado, here on the Music of America podcast.
Search of El Dorado, The Glass Prism. Tom Verano, our guest here on the Music of America podcast. And Tom, this is the last segment of the show called Shameless Self-Promotion. But before we go there, let's give a shout out to your band members and tell us where they all are. You're in Binghamton, New York, but uh, where's everybody else right now? Well, Rick Richards, the drummer who's been with the band since 1966, um, he lives in uh, the Scranton, Wilkes-Barre area. Okay. So the actual name of the city he lives in is Dixon City. It's outside of Scranton. Okay. Uh, Louis Casa is the bass player. Uh, he does live in Scranton. And uh, Mike McCurry plays keyboards. Uh, he lives in Scranton. So those guys are all down in the Scranton area. Uh -huh. uh, I did live there, but moved to New York uh, in 1976. Okay. So they're, they're all basically homegrown boys who are still around their hometowns. But you're in New York, and that's why you're on the New York show of the yeah. Music America podcast. That makes sense. So, and maybe we'll run into them again when we hit Pennsylvania. Who knows? You're running on the Pennsylvania thing or the New York thing, whatever works. That's right. Shameless yeah. self-promotion. Tell us what's coming up with the Glass Prism for the rest <clears throat> of 2024 and how so, we can support you and hear more of your stuff and buy your stuff and all that. Well, it's here's the thing. We're, we're basically a group that does reunion concerts sometime whenever the, the show is right. Like, so right, right now, for example, we were contacted uh, by one of the uh, Edgar Allan Poe historic sites. There are four of them. Oh, wow. uh, our, music, our music is archived at all four of them. Um, and we have played at uh, the one in Philadelphia. They have a theater right across from the home where Edgar lived. It's called the German Society Theater. We did a show there. Uh, the other three, one's in um, Brooklyn, or the Bronx, I guess it is. Uh, it's a cottage where he lived, and there's a stage probably a couple hundred feet away from it. Uh, so it's kind of a cool thing. They want yeah. us to do it there. Uh, the other two 
historic sites, Edgar Allan Poe historic sites are. One's in Virginia, the other's in Baltimore. Uh, so all of our stuff is archived there. So if you go to those places ever, because you're interested in Edgar's uh, homes where he lived, or mm -hmm. places where he wrote The Raven or Telltale Heart or whatever, uh, they're awesome places to visit. And of course, our music is being played at all four of those places. Uh, as far as uh, contacting us, we have two Facebook pages, uh, but go to our Facebook group, which is called Glass Prism Fans, F-A-N-S. Okay. Uh, and you can hear music there. You can find out what's going on, uh, all kinds of pictures and stuff from the days of when we were skinny to now. <laughs> I and remember those also, days. <laughs> remember that? And uh, you can also email me. Because uh, I look at emails every day from fans. We have thousands of them. Uh, but the email address is HMI67 at AOL. So letter H, letter M, letter I, number 67 at AOL. And you can find out all kinds of stuff. Uh, we can send you all kinds of information. Of course, there's a documentary about the band called On Joy and Sorrow, which features Les Paul and other people. Uh, that were fans and friends of the band and radio DJs and stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool to hear the whole story. It's been on a lot of TV stations hundreds of times. Uh, again, this is one of those almost famous groups. But uh, So you can go to us, come to our email address, uh, come to our Facebook pages to find out as much information as you can possibly want to know. Uh, you can get the, the bio, our discography. It's lengthy. There's been all kinds of recordings. There's all kinds of artists, by the way, sampling our music, which is mm -hmm. kind of cool because it, it brings it out. Uh, and there's some really cool stories tied together with our band and the groups that we've performed with because uh, most of the groups that we performed with were groups that had big hits, number one songs, and we performed with them when they were uh, all together with original members, people yeah. like Procol Harum, uh, Three Dog Night, the Guess Who, the list goes on and on. Because during those early years of the band, when those groups are number one on the charts, we were their opening act many times. Yeah. So there's lots of cool stories, lots of cool things to find out. It's so cool. And it's such a, an honor to have such a legendary band on this podcast of ours. So thank you, Tom, so much. And, uh, um, and thank you so much for having, having me and the guys, they know that I'm doing this and they wish they could be here, but they're too far away. Well, uh, you know, maybe we'll pick them up in Pennsylvania in a couple of, couple of weeks. That would be, that would be <laughs> super. And I would love you to hook, hook up with the guys cause they're, they're a lot funnier than me and they're, <laughs> they're clever and they know things that I don't know. Yeah, oh, we all do. We yeah, all have our own remember, stories. We all remember and things differently. That's right. That's right. So it's my history, not yours, right? <laughs> there we go. Well, Tom Verano and the Glass Prism, thank you so much for being a guest here. Up next, we say goodbye to the Northeast, and we head to the Southeast, North Carolina, all next week here on the Music of America podcast. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, 
and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the music of America.